0: Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity, but the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, Welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. everyone, welcome to Let's Talk Native. Look, I got to apologize. I know it's been a while since I've done a let's Talk Native uh, podcast and um, it's been, uh, you know, a busy, you know, couple of months. Uh, but I do need to remind people that I do a radio show every week. So even if you're not catching, uh, let's talk native. Uh, my resistance radio show is done each week. I stream that show live on Facebook. Um, it goes up as a podcast, and of course, it broadcasts in uh, New York City on WBAI and in Washington D.C. on WPFW. Um, let's talk native is also a podcast. (laughs) I just haven't been as diligent about uh, getting these uh, LTN uh, shows out. Um, We do uh, try to Facebook live stream, uh, Let's Talk Native, and I take the videos and I try to post them uh, up on YouTube as well. Um, So anyway, here I am back. Um, I'm going to talk about um, three women and... Before I get into it, I gotta, I gotta say, I'm not hating on women. Um, In fact, I'm gonna mention three women after I get done uh, railing on these three. Um, I I think to see women or anybody who has been marginalized or oppressed stand up and be empowered is one thing. But you know what? If you're only beholding to white men then you are not fixing the problem. If you're only beholding to the, to the white men who hold the power and the power over you, then you're really continuing, you know, some of this essentially white supremacy. It doesn't matter what color you are. All right. So who are the three ladies? Well, the three ladies are women that I've talked about. Deb Hallin with the Interior Department. She is the uh, first Native American. Uh, cabinet Secretary. She is the Secretary of the Interior. Uh, Kathy Hochul, the first um, woman governor of the state of New York, not elected. She uh, she got in by default because uh, she was the lieutenant governor, which wasn't elected a posi- position. Um, and uh, when when Andrew Cuomo resigned in shame, you know she she slid slid into the uh, the governor's position. And then Crystal Peoples Stokes. Now, Crystal is an elected official. She is a, a, a part of the New York State Assembly. Um, but she also has an appointment, essentially an appointment. She is the majority leader of the Assembly, which is controlled by the Democratic Party. So, I mean, all of these people, I mean, and again, backing up to, to Deb Haaland, she was elected as, uh, to Congress, predominantly by white people in, in New Mexico. Um, but she was elected but her appointment comes from a white man and she serves at the pleasure of Joe Biden. Uh, Kathy Hochul, she, you know, she is the governor of the state of New York, regardless of how she got there. That's where she is. And she is likely going to be reelected. I mean, she just won her primary. uh, So she will stand up to the, the GOP uh, challenger. And you know, so well, however that that plays out and, and and the fact that she still maintains her popularity in spite of some of her actions, it that kind of lends to my conversation about what is white supremacy. Uh, and then there's Crystal People Stokes. Now, Crystal People Stokes, uh, Deb Haaland's native, Kathy Holkel's white and Crystal People Stokes is black. And she, you know, got elected, you know, from a predominantly, you know, uh, what is considered a black area of um, of Buffalo, although you know, certainly, she probably wouldn't have got elected if she didn't have a lot of support from the the you know the standard Democrats in uh, in the Buffalo area, and 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 I think because of this effort to try to you know make the appearance that that the state is not run by New York City, um, she has uh, you know she has you know risen to the t- you know to you know pretty high up in the, in the Democratic Party, um, and as such has been able to secure the your assembly leader uh, position in, uh, in, in Albany. So, um, but she is very, very loyal to Kathy Ockel. So, you and I'll get into why Crystal even makes the list here, um, you know, towards, uh, as I go through this stuff. Now I've talked about a lot of this stuff before. I was never going to be um, that enthusiastic because a native person got put into a position. I feel like we lose somebody. When when one of our own gets placed into one of those positions, I feel like it's a token gesture. Because now you've taken... Uh, by many accounts, if she was a solid native voice, now she's not ours. Now she works for the President of the United States. And the idea that some sort of glass ceiling is shattered when a woman takes into one of these positions, only if only if she can really break that that ceiling. Only if she can... She can take what is at her core, not only a woman, but, you know, whatever her culture and and whatever. else But the problem is that's not what gets you there. What gets you there is, you know, basically being complicit with the system, you know, and and I always come back to the idea that the system is inherently racist. And just because you add some color to, you know, to some personnel doesn't make the racism go away. So I was never as enthusiastic about Deb Hallen's uh, nomination and an appointment as the, uh, the interior secretary. Um, and I had one real easy test for her. Well, and I say it's easy, but apparently it, was, it wasn't so easy, which was the Seneca Nation's battle with New York State, Kathy Hochul now, uh, battle with New York State um, over g- gaming revenue. Deb Hallen, was um, she worked for Laguna Pueblo, a native uh, community and worked, I led to believe is that she was involved in their gaming. And New Mexico was being very aggressive towards Laguna Pueblo and and other uh, gaming enterprises. So she knows this issue. And while I never really expected Deb Hallen to step up and do the right thing, do right by the Senecas, which would have been Use the power of the Interior Department, which is delegated as the agency, the federal agency, the federal department, if you will, um, that oversees uh, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. Their job is to fulfill the trust responsibility that the United States claims to have towards Native people. And when you pass a law like IGRA, which takes something away from us and then gives it to the state, you create a condition where there has to be oversight of the states. Now, if we had our way, we'd have nothing to do with New York State, like we do with tobacco. The only thing we have to do with New York State as far as tobacco goes is we fight them. But when when a law gets passed you have to enter into a compact or a contract, a treaty, if you will, with somebody who's an adversary who is always going to have the upper hand uh, uh, over you just by the way the law is written, the only thing that balances the scales a little bit is if, if genuinely, if the Interior Department does its job, and it hasn't in in over thirty years of IGRA, the Interior Department has never done its job. That's why I didn't really expect there to be much of a change when when Deb Hallen came in, and there wasn't. I mean, the Senecas went through this whole this you know this ongoing battle with uh, with New York State back when Cuomo was governor, and now and and after the. The transition to um, to Kathy Hochul went through this whole thing, and the Interior Department was silent. Even one of the arbitrators that was supposed to look and 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 adjudicate the conflict with this uh, with the state was was a former Interior Department uh, a person uh, personnel, and his opinion written on this thing. I mean, uh, his vote on this thing. What was really solid and well thought out, but the other two white guys, no, they, they ruled against, you know, against, <laughs> against the Senecas. And as many of you know by now, the Senecas have been, have been forced to pay almost $600 million, $560 million to the state of New York in what is really still a contentious and disputable revenue sharing requirement. It's not, even, it's not even a sharing agreement anymore. It's not an agreement. The Seneca's don't agree that they have to pay this, but they're forced to. So it's not an agreement. It's not a revenue sharing agreement. It is, it is an imposed fee of 25% of the net slot drop of the of the gaming machines that they have to pay. And when I say have to pay, it's wrong that they're that they're being forced to do it, but they are being forced to do it. They're being forced to do it first by uh, arbitration, then by courts that won't wouldn't even hear the case. The failure of the Interior Department to do anything, and then because Kathy Hochul is the governor of State of New York, she got to use state law, which shouldn't even have been used, to essentially hold all of the all of the revenue an operating uh, capital of the of the Seneca Nation hostage by freezing the accounts, not the account with the, with the $560 million in it, but all of the other accounts to say, I'm going to freeze these accounts because I have a law that lets me do that. I am the governor. I have the law on my side. I get to do what I want to you, and I can force you to pay this $560 million. So that's what Kathy Hochul did, while Deb Haaland did nothing. The only thing I'll say about Crystal People Stokes at this point is Crystal People Stokes is all in with Kathy Hochul. She is riding. I mean, Kathy Hochul is a is a Western New York, New York girl. girl. She's from Hamburg, New York, um, which is not far from where you're where Crystal People Stokes is from. And they have teamed up on this thing. And so so they are partners in, in a lot of this politically, one from the assembly and one the governor. And. So this, so part of Crystal People Stokes' rise to power has been, you know, her utilizing her presence, and and look, she has she's been very effective as a politician. She and and of course she's she's asserted her blackness as part of um uh her, her persona. But when you team up this closely with the non-elected governor you know who only who only sitting there because of a debacle with the with the previous governor and then you support this kind of oppression against another people of color now you start to lose a little credibility and we'll get into that a little bit more later so one of the things that i was really pressing was that the Seneca Nation would not pay the state until they exhausted their remedies, not the remedies that the state would acknowledge. And the remedies that I'm saying they didn't exhaust was, was the interior department. And my point was Deb Hallen needed to be forced to say yay or nay. Yay or nay. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna do anything or are you gonna do nothing? But make her make her take a stand, one way or the other. And she did. You know, well, I say I say she did. Let's be clear: through all of this, Deb Hallen has never met with the Seneca's. She's never heard the Seneca's case. I mean, indirectly perhaps, but even though a native person is sitting in that position and the whole premise that was pitched to us is, oh, isn't it great? You, got, you have one of your own in there. Well, she isn't one of our own. She won't even invite us to the table. She isn't our voice. And if she won't hear our voice because she won't even entertain a conversation with us, then that's problematic. But the Interior Department essentially did nothing. They, they walked around this during the Trump administration uh, and well, during the Obama administration. They, they walked around many of the, the problems with the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. And so what this Interior Department said after Kathy Hochul screwed them and extorted uh, over half a billion dollars out of them, this Interior Department said, look, there's nothing we can do for you. There's nothing we can do for what you've done for what's happened in the past. Your, your, your uh, the amount the now the two billion dollars that you've paid in revenue sharing, and your current situation, which has you paying through the end of 2023. There's nothing we can do for you there, but we are hearing you, and and this is what I, I gotta I gotta say. There are voices, and I'm among them. That has made enough of a dust up and, and, and the Seneca Nation has, has raised enough of a dust up that the Interior Department is saying that they need to do a rule change. So while the Senecas aren't getting anything out of the Interior Department for, for what they've been screwed out of, what they're being asked right now is will they participate in suggesting um, changes in some of the rules in the uh, r- relating to the uh, Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. and and help push some rule changes for the future. Now, the problem is, yeah, the Seneca's have all kinds of things they can suggest are wrong with the with the current interpretation and implementation of, of Igra. But even if they do a rule change, it's probably gonna come after this negotiation that's that's essentially just about to get underway for a compact that they need to enter into by the end of 2023. So even to the extent that the Interior Department is recognizing that there needs to be, in fact, they're even calling some of, some people are calling this the Seneca fix. That there needs to be a fix to when the Interior Department can weigh in without pissing off one of the states. You know, what can they do? Uh, how can they their power be codified more so they can intervene on things like revenue sharing? And the resistance of a state to, you know, to uh, negotiate in good faith for a gaming compact. So this is among the things that the Interior Department is asking nations, but including the Seneca Nation, to participate in. So I think we're somewhat responsible for that. And and again, some people in the industry, in in the native gaming industry, are calling this the Seneca fix that that Deb Hallin's Interior Department is looking to, um, to create. Now, will they even take the Seneca suggestions? Who knows? I mean, will there be an effective change? Again, who knows? IGRA is over 30 years old and it's uh, it's terribly racist. It was born out of racism. It was literally whipped up out of thin air when a, when a Supreme Court uh, recognized that we had the right to do gaming. They passed a law to take some, some of our rights away and give some of them to the state. That's exactly what IGRA is. And in addressing rule changes, I think one of the things that the Interior Department has to be told directly is that IGRA stripped Native people of rights and gave some of those rights to the state. And the failure of the Interior Department to balance those scales, to, t- to lift the state's thumb off the scales is what these rule changes should address. But look, to the extent that they're doing rule changes, I don't know that it can fix everything. I think some of the, the problems with IGRA are outside of the scope of, this, uh, of, of this, this current process for a rule change. There has to be an acknowledgement Again, we should use some of the vernacular that has become you know, contemporary, critical race theory. If we're gonna have a conversation about the intersection of racism and law, then IGRA is a perfect example of it. And it's a fairly modern example of it, one that, that is impacting Native people today. And, it's, and the idea that it's skewed so badly is what gives people like Kathy Hochul the kind of power that she has. And and Andrew Cuomo, the kind of power that he had. The idea that they could actually say racist things and do racist things. And again, let me repeat what Kathy Hochul did. She froze the Seneca Nation's assets to force them to pay her this revenue sharing. Now, the law that she uses is a state law that is generally used to maybe freeze an account if somebody owed a fine to New York State. This was not a fine. This is supposed to be sharing. This is supposed to be revenue sharing. And the problem with with revenue sharing with New York State is New York State didn't give anything up for it. They've received over $2 billion from the Seneca Nation. Let me clear this up. The Seneca Nation had $2 billion taken from them for all intents and purposes. I mean, that's $2 billion the Seneca people don't have. That's $2 billion that... Are, is taken for away from housing and health care and, uh, and the seniors and the children, education, all that. That's $2 billion taken from the Seneca Nation for what was supposed to be an exclusivity that never really existed. And the Interior Department knows it. How do I know it? Because they did do an investigation and they didn't address the main issue, although they mentioned it in the report that yeah, the Seneca's paid a substantially larger amount of money during the revenue-sharing uh, term than they had anticipated, and their their exclusivity was diminished in value. I mean, the, the Interior Department knows it, but then they say, "But we were powerless to do anything about it." I don't know how that I don't know how that could possibly be. But that's that's really what that that's the deal, and. So that's, there's where you've got Deb Haaland, and I'm not saying Deb Haaland is pandering to Kathy Hochul. But she won't take on the changes that she knew should have happened to, and, and address wh- how badly the Seneca people have been hurt by this. Now I've had people say, yeah, but didn't she do some great environmental work? Look, she's not, checking, she's not protecting our environment. She's protecting her own environment. And by her own Deb Haaland is an American. Yeah, she's Native, and that's where she comes from. But she serves the President of the United States. She does not serve Native people. And because the President is, you know, the, the party system in the United States, she serves the Democrats. That's what she was in, in New Mexico. She was a, a major uh, player in the, in the Democratic, apparati- uh, Democratic Party apparatus in New Mexico. That's what she did. That's how she got elected uh, into Congress. All right. I've talked about Deb Haaland, I've talked about um, Kathy Hochul. One of the things I gotta say about, about what Kathy Hochul did, because look, I, I've expressed clearly how, how much I believe IGRA is a racist law. Again, it is, it is a law that, show, that really allows the federal government to assert its power to take something away from native people. Our ability to to, to regulate and uh, um, and operate gaming operations, even though the Supreme Court said, yeah, they they can do it. If, if the states are doing gaming, then Native people do gaming, and the uh, and Congress said, wait a second here, we just can't have them doing their own thing, and of course the states were all had their hand out, so they passed the law, whip it up out of thin air, create a law where none had existed that takes our ability away. I mean, this is the definition of supremacy and inferiority. Where the the feds get to take something from us, give it to their underlings in the state, and we are left with less. And by less, I mean less money, less control, less say. I mean, and the crazy part is, when we're forced into into, into entering into these compacts with the state, one of the things that happens is that the states have final say on any changes. Anything that's not detailed in the compact, well, essentially, we can't do. However, the state can still do whatever they want to do. They can they can change their constitution and add class three gaming to their uh, you know to their gaming industry. They can expand their lottery. They can add sports betting and you know do it not only in brick and mortars but on you know online and on, on mobile on your phone. They can do all this stuff. They could they could change the complexion of the uh, uh, of the gaming industry while we couldn't we can't even change something within our operations without the governor to say so. And the fact of the matter is there were changes that the Seneca Nation had laid before Andrew Cuomo, things like side bets in, in some of the table games and Cuomo just ignored them. So there they sat the changes and and the, and the things that the Seneca Nation was trying to do to enhance their gaming experience. They couldn't do, and they couldn't do it because the governor wouldn't give them the time of day. That's the power that Igra, the the federal law gave the states. So this is what uh, this is what Kathy Hochul inherits now. Kathy Hochul is not a, uh, a a sole solitary figure. Her husband is in the gaming industry of all things. Her husband is a principal. Of, of Like a vice president and the, the, you know, the lead attorney for Delaware North, which operates some major gaming operations, in t- including two that violate the exclusivity zone of, uh, of the Seneca Nation. I say violate. Look, they, they operate class two slot machines at Hamburg Gaming and at Finger Lakes uh, Racetrack. And those have have significantly taken from the Seneca's gaming market even though that's what was supposed to be protected with their exclusivity. Now, the state argues, yeah, but we only have class two machines. And we only said we wouldn't do class three. Yeah, but since that deal was struck, class two machines look exactly like class three machines. So you pulled a fast one over. Yeah, technically and legally, your machines do not violate the compact. But what it does violate, again, getting back to the interior, is that, the value of your concession has to be substantial and quantifiable. Well, you just diminished the value of the exclusivity. So what should have happened is that there should have been an evaluation on whether the Seneca's were getting what they were promised for their money. Were they paying too much? Were they paying, were they getting enough? Or whatever. And that's where the Interior Department again failed to do anything. And of course, one of the other 800-pound gorillas in the room is the fact that uh, the Western New York has the only NFL football team in the state. Yeah, I know, New York Giants, New York Jets. No, they, they don't play in New York State. They play in New Jersey. Why? Because New York State wouldn't build them a, a, a stadium. And they could have built one stadium for both, but they wouldn't do it. And New York City is a major market, a much bigger market than Buffalo. Look look it up. Look at the population of New York City and, and that whole area of New York City and the population of, of, of Western New York and Buffalo. And you tell me which which is a major market. But that major market, with all of its political power on both sides of the aisle, would not step up and do the two billion dollar deal to build a stadium for the Giants and the Jets. So they play in New Jersey. But Kathy had a, you know, part of the reason that Kathy scrambled to squeeze the Seneca so so tightly to get this half a billion dollars out of them was that she was facing a budget deadline. And one of the things that she wanted to do was to give the billionaires of Western New York, the Pagoulas, a subsidy to, to, to build a stadium that they would benefit from. And ironically, so would her husband. Well, how, how would that be? Well, I mentioned that Bill Hochul is um, the vice pre- one of the vice presidents and, and lead attorney for Delaware North? They not only run some gaming operations; they have concessions throughout the state, state parks, you know, um, state facilities all over. Um, they were they had the concessions on the um, the rest areas and the throughway, but they've also had the concessions for the Bill Stadium for thirty freaking years. Well, guess who's going to have the concessions for the brand new multi billion dollar uh, Bill Stadium? Yeah. Delaware North. So Bill Hokel has been lobbying hard. He, I mean he did not have he doesn't have to go far to lobby. He only has to, you know, talk to his wife. I don't know if they sleep in separate rooms or not, but uh yeah, he doesn't have to go far to lobby his wife to push for a new bill stadium that Delaware North will benefit from. So it's it it gets really, really kind of ugly. So here's what what Kathy Hogle planned. Now, her her plan was to squeeze the money out of the Seneca's and then turn around and not put it to the use that was prescribed by all this gaming revenue. It wasn't gonna to go to education. It wasn't gonna to go to help. You know, it wasn't gonna balance a budget or anything. It was gonna balance her budget. Why? Because she was budgeting in almost a half a billion dollars to give to, uh, to Terry Pagula for a new stadium. Now, she never went to the Senate and say, look, I know we have this dispute. We don't, we don't necessarily agree on how this revenue sharing is. How about you guys contribute and take a share in the new Bill Stadium? Put a half a billion dollars towards that, and, and, and we're all good. No, she didn't offer that. She never once mentioned anything to the to the Seneca Nation about after how she was going to squeeze that money from them, and then then claim to be the champion of Western New York by throwing that money at the at the at the billionaire Pagullos. Now, why did she do this? She thought if she could do this, it would avoid the pressure that she would have gotten downstate by by offering what today I think is still the biggest subsidy for a sports, uh, uh, you know, a sports arena or a sports stadium in the history of the United States. And I think the Tennessee may be overshadowing it, but uh, Nashville is a little bit bigger town and a little bigger market than Buffalo. But. Her plan was to do, do all of this stuff, squeeze get this money from the Senecas before she had to meet her budget deadline. And that's what she did. Now, it didn't go over well. I mean, the, the popularity of her deal was great. I mean, it was real popular in Western New York. But downstate, they were beating her up badly. And you know who else they were beating up? Crystal People Stokes. So Crystal People Stokes and, and uh, Kathy Hokel are being beat up because they are these two big Western New York icons, political icons. New York Times wrote an article and they were pissed. They were pissed that they got bad press. Now, Kathy Hochul, she gets to run for the governorship. She won her primary, so she's going to run and she'll probably win. What puts Crystal People Stokes in jeopardy is, yes, yeah, she'll probably still get elected, you know, as a, a, you know, in the State Assembly, but her majority leader position in the Assembly is really determined by the political powers within the Democratic Democratic Party and the Democrats, even even the Democrats downstate were, were bashing this deal. And it doesn't and it gets worse. <laughs> and, it, and this is how it gets worse. The Seneca's, after getting beaten up by the, the governor and being let down by the Interior Department. Knows that they have to negotiate a compact going forward. So. They don't plan as of as of today, there is no plan to offer revenue sharing to New York State. Now we don't know how this will play out, and, and how hardball New York State will be when it comes to negotiating this uh, this compact that has to come in come in by 2023. We don't know. Um, but currently, the Senate is saying, "No, you, you know, you screwed the pooch on this one, Kathy. <laughs> we're not we're not ent- we're not getting into another one of those deals." So. The the plan is that they're going to they'll enter into a compact with New York State, but the, but revenue sharing is not a requirement, and they aren't going to allow it to become a requirement by by New York State. And and also keep in mind, New York State not only has these racetrack casinos, but they've they've built three class three uh, casinos, and they want to build another three or four or two or three or four. I don't know how many more. The state is really ramping up its presence in the in the gaming industry. <laughs> and folks like Bill Hokel couldn't be happier about that. So the idea that the Seneca's would actually be paying their com- competitors revenue sharing. And let's get this straight: the state doesn't share any of its revenue with the Seneca Nation. No, nothing comes back. This is a there's a giant sucking sound, which is the money that sucks out of Western New York. Through the uh, through the, uh, the Seneca gaming facilities to Albany, and uh, and let's be clear, that money isn't just taken from the Senecas; it's taken from the from the Western New York economy. That's that's what you know. The politicians like Byron Brown and um, uh, Restaino from Niagara These guys don't understand. Yes, you guys get a couple of you know you get a couple of million dollars here and there from this thing. Your economy is taking a hit because two billion dollars have been sucked out of Western New York. Uh, Andrew Cuomo tried to brag about how the billion, the Buffalo billion, was going to lift up Buffalo from its, you know, from the ashes. Well, the only bu- Buffalo billion was the billion that he took out through through Seneca Gaming. Make that a billion and a half, and now another half billion. So the Senecas don't have any plans to do revenue sharing going forward. So they started uh making the rounds and, and a crew went out to albany and, and a crew i mean a bunch of seneca counselors with their again with their lobbyists the white guys who hold the door for them i guess um they went out they, they went out to albany and they met with people on both sides of the political aisle democrats and republicans and you know and they voiced their displeasure on on the treatment that kathy Hochul gave them now of course that was real popular with the with the republicans yeah, a little less popular with the with the Democrats. But the one Democrat who was pissed and literally scolded the Seneca's who showed up at her office, then <laughs> and then threw them out of her office, basically, was Crystal People Stokes. Because when my my friend who's on council, Ross John, even brought up the word racism as a part of how we are treated by the state. Crystal People Stokes says, how dare you in fact don't you dare mention racism after what happened to my people now keep in mind this this visit went out shortly after the uh, the shooting in buffalo and let's make no mistake here that white boy who uh, who was a product of systemic racism in school in the in these rural areas of new york um with his access to guns, came to Buffalo to kill black people, came to East Buffalo to kill black people, came to a black neighborhood, went into a grocery store and did it. Among the most heinous acts a person could have done, but he was a lone gunman and he was criticized and condemned by everyone. Not even the NRA defended this guy and not even the Proud Boys defended this guy, at least as far as I know. He did this condemnable act that everybody condemned and and it's changed much of the dialogue in Western New York. And there's no question about it. But his act was not systemic racism. His act was lone gunman committing an act of terror. Yes, I hate crime. But it was not white supremacy. White supremacy is about having power. Of Kathy Hochul. What Kathy Hochul did to the Senecas is is one of the most stunning examples of white supremacy and this notion of superior inferiority um, dynamic between the state, predominantly white, and just look at them and Native people who are clearly a distinct people who are who were being targeted. To pull this money out, so she could secure her her stadium deal for the Pagulas and her husband. So, you wrestle half a billion dollars from from the most marginalized people in, in in the country, and you hand it over to to the white billionaire, the the hydrofracking oil and gas gas king of Western New York, who's got properties all over the country now. Again, the Pagulus don't spend all their money in Western New York. In fact, trust me, they're they're spending their time in Florida and wherever else they own their multiple homes. The guy's worth like 5 or 6 billion dollars. The last thing he needed was a half a billion dollars from the Senecas. But that's what he got. It is it is such a a dynamic and stunning example of White supremacy just washing each other's hands, but you know what? And this is this thing I did. I did my show in New York, and I and I called Crystal People Stokes a black white supremacist. So yeah, and it pissed her off. <laughs> and I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute here. Because she supported what Kathy Hochul did. She never said, "Wait a second, this may not play very well. This doesn't look very fair to the to the Senecas." I mean, they could have just waited, right? They could have just waited until the Interior Department finally stood up and said, No, nah, we're not gonna do anything for you. And the Senate because it would have exhausted. Them. It was really just a matter of weeks. But you know what? She was under she was trying to get this done because of the politics associated with her budget. And that's what Crystal People Stokes was all was all about. Now th- here's the other thing is when Crystal People Stokes says, Don't you dare mention racism after what happened to my people, her people aren't getting a damn thing out of a bill stadium. And you know what pissed off Crystal People stokes It wasn't that she got any backlash from her people in Western New York. She got backlash from the New York Times. So what people is she worried about? The Democratic establishment and and the, the big newspaper in New York City? Are those the people that she's worried about? Because that's the people she was pissed off about when she was really just throwing daggers and scolding the Senecas who came to her office. That's what she was talking about. She was talking about how she was lambasted in the media. And, and, and then went on to say, for, and for the Senecas to condemn the use of funds for the, for the Bill Stadium, that, that infuriated her even more. So I heard about this, and I talked about it on my radio show in New York, on my resistance radio show. It's been over a month now. And apparently her people listened to the radio show. She actually reached out. This is Crystal People Stokes now. She actually reached out to the Seneca's lobbyists and they're in Albany. And she told them that she was demanding an apology from the Seneca Nation for what I said. Yeah. No, I'm not Seneca. I live in Seneca territory. And you know what? I say some of the things that the Seneca Nation perhaps can't say. Let's be honest. I mean, I don't think they disagree with me. In fact, many times I, I think that I've helped the conversation move, including the so-called Seneca fix at the Interior Department. I, I take some some credit for that. I'm not, not all of it, but a little bit. I take some credit for the Senecas standing up strong to, to the state. Some of the conversation that I heard coming out of Pagel calling this a hostage payment and a ransom payment. Well, that came that that came from here. So. But I can say some things. I mean, the idea of calling a prominent black figure like Crystal People Stokes a, a black white supremacist, yeah, not everybody's going to say that kind of thing. And you know what? I know that there are people who will condemn me for it. And, and, and I'll give you an example. And, and look, I'm going to beat up on WBFO, the NPR station right here in, in, in Western New York. Before the Buffalo shooting, Ross and I, Ross John, count, Seneca counselor, and I met with WBFO about trying to tell our story and talking about the racism that we experienced. And we had great conversations with some of the people there. The the phone hasn't rung since uh, May 14th. We have not been given the time. They got this whole new show they call What's Next? And it's talking about what comes after the shooting in Buffalo. And it's, oh, we want to hear from you. No, they know. I've sent... Probably a, you know five six emails to to WBFO. I haven't gotten a call back. I haven't gotten an email. I haven't even gotten an acknowledgement. And the reason is because it is too hard for white people to acknowledge the racism that Native people are experiencing. Because now they're trying to reduce racism down to acts of violence and killing people. They're forgetting about the power dynamic associated with racism, which is. What we all experience. Look, some of those shows that that they're doing on WBFO on this "What Next" series, some of those black voices are great, and they're the only ones mentioning native people. The hosts aren't. Not one host has once mentioned native people in this conversation about racism. A couple of the guests have, and we haven't gotten a phone call. We haven't got a phone call. Not not a single one. So this idea that that we can characterize IGRA as racist, Kathy Hochul as racist, and perhaps Deb Howland as, as racist by not doing her job, or not doing the job that the Interior Department is supposed to do. Look, and I'm not saying that Deb Haaland hasn't had any effect. The fact that we're even having the conversation about the rule change is probably because of what the Seneca Nation's position has been, which is something that I've advocated. So perhaps the conversation we're having is because Deb Hallen's in there, but she hasn't fixed, she wouldn't address any, any of this stuff to date. She's saying, well, help me address something in the future. And we don't even know if that's gonna happen. We don't know if a rule change is gonna happen. These are proposed rule changes. So we'll see. So we'll see. But again, the, the crazy part is that Crystal People Stokes, because I called her out for the treatment that she gave the Senecas, is was suggesting the Senecas owe her an apology, and they did, you got to beg the question: well, What do they owe her apology for? Because of the things that she said. I mean, she—they can't apologize for me. Oh, the problem is, she's pissed that Ross John, one of the Seneca counselors, told me about the conversation. Look, this wasn't a confessional. This wasn't lawyer-client privilege. She, as a representative of the state, was talking to to the people who were representing the Seneca Nation. These were public conversations. And the fact that she scolded these guys, and frankly, yeah, they were pissed. Ross was pissed to be treated that way by this woman. And, for, and the gall of this woman to suggest that the racism that Native people experience should be dismissed because of the killing in Buffalo? Let's let's back this up. Because of the killing of Buffalo is the reason that racism has to be addressed beyond hate and violence. Beyond these mass shootings. We need to address racism where where it's everywhere. Not just where it's in those isolated, terrible, condemnable moments. We needed to address racism when it was Donald Trump spewing it or when it is Donald Trump spewing it. We need to address it, and and this is where I'm gonna shift gears a little bit here, we need to address it with the mascot issue. Look, and I know, I just condemned three prominent native people, or not, I'm sorry, women, I'm sorry, three prominent women who are being attributed with success in their field, in politics, breaking the glass ceiling, as they say. Deb Hallin, Kathy Hochul, and Crystal Peoples-Stokes. I'm not condemning them because they're women. I'm not even saying I expect more out of them because they're women. But in spite of the fact that they're women, and they should know oppression, Crystal Peoples-Stokes should know oppression, Deb Hallin should know oppression, Kathy Hochul wouldn't know oppression if it smacked her in the head. But some of them should. I mean, she's a woman, so I'm sure she's been oppressed. So I take some of that back. But they are doing, they're carrying water for white men. All three of them, all three of them are carrying water for white men. You want to know three women who aren't? I'll tell you three women who aren't. Dr. Betty Rosa, the commissioner of the New York State Department of Education. When she was called upon to review what Cambridge Central School, the school that I graduated from, was doing with its mascot, first retiring it and then then three weeks later unretiring it, When she was petitioned to review what what the Cambridge Central School Board of Education did, she ruled against them and she ordered them, no, that mascot goes, you are not Cambridge Indians. My predecessor 20 years ago told you to stop this stuff and and you're still doing it. And you gave all the reasons in the world for retiring it. Then three weeks later, rescinded that resolution with no explanation no reasons. You didn't refute any of the stuff that, that was read into the record 3 weeks earlier. You didn't address the fact that you acknowledged in your resolution that maintaining a native mascot violated your diversity equity and inclusion policy. You acknowledged all that, but never addressed how bringing it back was uh, was was solve was going to solve any of those problems. So yeah, Dr. Betty Rosa, I applaud you because you stood up and you did your job. You didn't just stand up for us. You did your job. You did the right thing. You know who else did the right thing? Well, I'll tell you, that board of education. They they, they break, basically brought uh, Betty Rosa to court. They appealed her ruling, and they they tried to they tried to uh, appeal it in uh, state supreme court. And the person who had to argue and defend Betty Rosa was Letitia James. Letitia James, I applaud you. I saw what you submitted and you you hit up you hit every nail on the head. So, you did your job and you didn't do it out of some bias to- that you ha- you hold for us. You did it based on just doing your freaking job. And I applaud you for it. And the reason I applaud you for it is for because of what another woman did, the judge, Sarah McGinty. Sarah McGinty, I applaud you. So, <laughs> while I don't have a whole lot of good to say about Deb, Kathy, and Crystal, as far as uh, Betty, Leticia and, uh, and Sarah go, I'm proud th- of you for doing your job. Not just because you ruled in our favor, because you didn't. You ruled in favor of, Be- of Betty Rosa, essentially. Sarah McGinty, that is, Judge Sarah McGinty. You did what was right. Why? Because you did your job. See, if you don't do your job, Deb Hallen, you can't claim to be doing right. I mean, you can give statements. Betty Rosa didn't give a statement; she ordered them to get rid of the mascot. Letitia James didn't read a statement. No, she defended Betty Rosa, and Sarah McGinty. She didn't just issue a statement. She did her job, and dismissed. That appeal. So no, I I have no I have no angst or, or any anything against women in in any position, and I applaud those last three men I'm talking about. But I'm still waiting for the other three. I'm waiting for Crystal Peoplespoke to I'm waiting for her to apologize to the Senecas. Look, she doesn't have to agree, but she doesn't have to disrespect anybody. And the gall of her. To use a shooting of people in East Buffalo as as the as a weapon to dismiss us—that's—I don't know if you can apologize for that, but she she, she damn sure could try. So yeah, my show, <laughs> Deb, Kathy, and Crystal. But you know, what? I I ended on the high note. I ended on Betty, Letitia, and Sarah. I want to thank those who recognize before you get into somebody picking up an AR-15 and shooting people because of the color of skin, you've got to address racism where it's affecting kids. The mascot issue, the idea that there's still somewhere between 100 and maybe 200 schools in, in New York State that are still allowing white kids to appropriate Native culture imagery, words, references, for their amusement and entertainment. And let me take it back. It isn't even about the kids. It's about the alumni. It's the people who are still living in the past because they think they were great football players or prom queens or whatever else they're, they're hanging on. These people who peaked in high school who are putting such an overemphasis. And look, only native people, when they're used for mascots, do you hear predominantly white people saying, oh, I'm an Indian. They don't really say they're a cougar or a panther or a lion or a bear or an eagle. They'll refer to that being their mascot. But the only one where there's actual identity theft, where people will dress up, put makeup on. I mean, I remember a few years back when the, most of the starting lineup or starting line for the uh, Cambridge football team all shaved their head in, in, in mohawk haircuts. They imitate. They mock Native people. Now, not all schools do things like dress up and run some buffoon out there dressed as Native people. There are plenty that do. But they're calling themselves misnomers like Indians or warriors or savages or redskins. If you don't address racism at this level, and you know what? The mascot issue is a way to address what many people will call the less overt types of racism. Many of us won't say that, but many would. But if you address the idea of diversity, equity, inclusion, you can't do that if your school is using a race-based mascot that is stereotyping a specific people with a timestamp of, of of an image that white people will forever believe that's what a Native person is. Many times, a Native person like myself, we go into a room, and if we're presented to somebody whose only knowledge of, of, of what a Native person is comes from a mascot, they can't even recognize that we're Native. Look, and I'm not saying they got to know right off the bat, but when you explain it, they still struggle with it. They got this image of the of that profile on the side of their football helmet, the banners hanging in their in their gymnasium. That's all they can see. And if you don't meet that description, you're somehow dismissed and discounted. Yeah, are you really native? I mean in, in a lot of the conversations that I've had with people, that's that's the question I get. Are you really native? Every one of the issues that has been talked about on the local NPR station, WBFO here in Buffalo. Since the shooting in in Buffalo. Parallels the experience that Native people have. But you know what? We have it at a much smaller level because we're a smaller population. We experience food deserts or, or food apartheid. We experience laws that are specifically passed to target us and to keep us down. In fact, I think if you looked at native laws affecting native people, they are greater examples of critical race theory than than any of the laws I've heard talked about, you know, in in some of, you know, that I've heard some of these these black colleges use in their law law departments. Look, you, you better cite the real examples. And I'm not saying those other aren't examples, but for us, it isn't just that you can see an effect on a people, and then back it out and see a correlation, if not a causation. No, we're written into the language of these laws. IGRA, Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, Indian Reorganization Act, Indian Citizenship Act. These are all laws that were passed that, that did something to us. Indian Civilization Act. Yeah, that started the residential schools. The longest specific act of genocide. I mean, when people think about genocide, they don't think about it lasting for 150 years. We've experienced genocide for for 500 years, but residential schools was 150 to 200 years of a specific form of genocide. And it was a law. It was a law passed that made it happen. We've got to address racism in the past and how it affects the lives that we have now. We can't, if we're not going to, if we, we aren't prepared to talk about critical race theory, then we're just setting up for the next mass shooting. The next proud boy or oath keeper to pick up a gun and just shoot people who don't look like him. If you wait until there's violence, until there's hate, most of those people in these schools that i confront over these mascots they don't hate us they do get angry and they do get pissed and we sometimes do see some hate and some vitriol when we challenge them on the notion i've said before what's even more racist than than the native mascot is the response we get when we tell them it's wrong but part of it is even when we're discussing this we are marginalized Look, we're not the only voices out there. Look, there are child development experts. There's, There are all kinds of people that, that are prepared to talk about this. But they don't show up at these schools. Usually it's one Native person or two and a few people that support that message. Going against a whole town of white people who at some point go from Oh no! It's only it it its not offensive. It's meant to honor you. And once they give up on that argument, they say, "Well, you're not really native anyway. We're, we're, you're not who we're talking about." Oh, and we have some people here that are that have native in them, and they're they're fine with it. So the the argument changes every uh, the whole way. But we never address the fact that we that were that for too long a practice that endorses this racist act was allowed to happen that would marginalize how people, year after year after year, graduating class after graduating class, would forever have this image of what a native person is. I mean, can you imagine doing that with anybody else? Can, I mean, and there used to be, right? There used to be certain advertisement um, uh, spokesperson, whether it was Aunt Jemima or Uncle Ben or the Frito Bandito or whatever else. They're used to, but you know they don't exist anymore. The Native mascots still do. We don't confront racism before it turns to hate. So it turns to hate. Look, I want to thank you for listening. Again, this show will go up as a podcast. Uh, Look for it. Search Let's Talk Native with John Cain. And don't be afraid to search for Resistance Radio with John and Regan. I'm John Cain, and this is Let's Talk Native.